Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 238. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where I, your host, Nagin Farsad, took my daughter out into the snow to make a snowman that can only be described as looking like a penis. <laughs> uh, a penis with arms. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's on my Instagram. So that's what we like to call in our household an early education. She's a toddler, folks. Anyways, today we're going to talk about a bunch of Biden stuff and a teeny beeny bit, teeny winny bit of impeachment stuff. Um, we'll also talk about Republicans, which today is extra special, and you'll know why from our panel. And I'll explain, uh, sorry, and finally, we're going to talk about categories of friends that you may be missing during this pandemic, uh, this fucking fuckball pandemic. Uh, I am so excited by today's panel because it is rare in Fake the Nation history that we repeat a panel, like it just doesn't end up mathematically working out that way. But that's what makes today so fucking special, is that we're repeating a panel. We're joined by my friend, a comedian who I've seen kill not only in stand-up comedy, but also in storytelling, which are two different skills. Uh, I don't know if people know that, but they're just, they're different. And this woman can do both, and she can host uh, NPR's Ask Me Another, because um, she's a multi-talented, multi-faceted, wonderful person. It is Ophira Eisenberg. Hey, Ophira. Hi. I have problems with focus, but I like it when it's reframed. <laughs> 
No, you're like an. Inc- <laughs> what do they call those? A poly? Is it? Are you a polyglot? If you do a lot of things, or if you speak a lot of languages? I don't know what that word is. I'm using words I, I, I don't it understand. It sounds insulting, frankly. Okay, yeah, you're uh, a polyglot, and I, I mean with, that as an insult. Uh, within <laughs> like the comedy world, if we say multi-hyphenate, everyone's confused, right? Because usually, yeah. it like in the acting, it's like, oh, they could sing, they could dance, they can. Right, it's say, a triple threat, right? But yeah, for some reason, right. in comedy, it's like, get the fuck out of here. Exactly. Um, <laughs> well, joined um, also on the show today and uh, is the host of the wonderful podcast Swamp Stories, which I have subscribed to and I have thoroughly enjoyed. Um, he's also just like a beautiful, uh, eloquent speaker and thinker. Uh, and he, we've had him on the show before. We're so excited to have him back on. Uh, it is Weston Wamp. Hey, Weston. I think most appropriate follow up introduction would have been non comedian. Weston Wong. <laughs> or token um, token Republican would work, like, too. That's true for, like, a lot of serious people, but you're actually, like, fun, so that's why I don't think we need to emphasize it. Okay. <laughs> I'll try to hang. Um, no, you do, and you do hang, and the last time the three of us were together was right before the pandemic was real. Yeah. Weston was actually trying to explain to us that it would be real, and I was sort of like, anyways, I'll see you later, buddy. And I like, didn't want to hear it. Um, and it was also the day that Elizabeth Warren dropped out of the race and some tears were shed in, in the Earwolf studios. Um, and also, I should point out, Weston Wamp is uh, is one of our Republican friends. We don't have very many here at Unfake the Nation. We try to to, to gather them and hold them uh, dear. Um, and and Weston is so uh, so kind to to jump back in with us. Um, so here we go with topic number one. Okay, so let's talk about this stimulus package um, because I know everyone's like, where's my check? Uh, and there were talks with Republicans on Tuesday night. They had come in with uh, – so, so Biden started out with a $1.9 trillion stimulus, stimulus bill. The Republican – this team of Republicans came in with a $618 billion plan, which is about a, a, like a bunch smaller – I think technically speaking. <laughs> um, but they did have like a nice chat in the White House. And then after the chat, some nice things were said. Nothing seemed like ugly. But also, it feels like the Democrats are just going to go ahead and pass the bill without GOP support. <laughs> Chucky Schumes, uh, Senate Majority Leader, said, uh, we're not going to dilute, dither, or delay. Um, so I guess my first question for you both is... You know, like we're in the thralls of a new administration. What are we, week two? Week two. And mm-hmm. uh, two and a half, whatever. And um, and there was a lot of talk um, in the inaugural about um, being bipartisan. Uh, and I wonder how it feels for something to be um you know, forced through the budget reconciliation process, which allows a bill to be passed without a supermajority of votes, instead just like a um, a simple majority. Um, what do you, I mean, Ophira, how does it feel? First of all, I think the, I think the fact that the word dither is being used at all uh, should be pointed <laughs> out. I think and that celebrate shows... it? <laughs> yes. I, I, you know, I appreciate what it is just like, hey, we're not going to dither. I've, I'm sure a lot of people yeah. were like, 
We certainly not are not, sir. Thank you so much. Uh, no dithering, no dilly dallying, no yeah. dilly dally. Okay, so, um, so okay, yeah, I would like everyone to get along and start working together too. But you can't go from zero to one hundred in uh, the middle of a global pandemic crisis within two weeks. Not possible. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do I think that there are tons of Americans that need? As much as that can possibly be given. Yes. Like, yes. And don't give them, don't promise dinner and then go, well, but here's an appetizer. Oh, that's so weird (laughs) that you're now even hungrier. So now you're even hungrier. Oh, well, that, but uh, what are you talking about? I gave you a few slices of an orange. Uh, You know, I think it was the, um, the West Virginia governor who said something like, you know, this is our time to throw away some money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, like you know. By like, the way, West Virginia governor who is a who is a Republican. That's right, uh, and you know we if if you you know I will consider myself lucky. I had some savings that I could use during this time, and guess what I did with them. I use them. Matter of fact, yeah. every single, every single, ec- if you had an economics teacher or just someone teaching you about yeah. budgeting, they always say this like, hey, save some money for that rainy day, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? I did it. And now Motherfucker has been raining for like 10 months. Yes. Yeah. I, I burned through it all. I've burned through it all. And I had something to burn through that is like unlike so many people. So um, I don't accept this. Where's the money going to come from? This is a very rich country. This is ridiculous. This is a very rich. And if you can't find it, you know what? Pull it out of your pockets. All you people making decisions up there, feeling fine. Pull it out of your pockets. (laughs) How about you personally contribute if you care so much about the country? I mean, the Senate, for example, (laughs) that's not fair, but that's how how my brain goes. That's how my brain goes. Right, no, but I, I wouldn't mind not. them passing the hat around just senators. <laughs> you know I mean? right. and, and Joe Biden. Joe Biden's a very rich man. Like, let's just throw the hat. Let's just pass the hat around. You know what I mean? Just like add to it. Um, and let, can and we you get... have to say your amount. It's not secret. It's yeah. not like in an envelope. Yeah, you, you can't say be your anonymous amount. donor on the like website. Right, right, right. Uh, Weston, where are you at with the stimulus package? Oh, We could do a whole podcast just on this. So part of my time I spend on issues related to the national debt, like a true, this is the true old school Republican in me. So I don't think, like it's not monopoly money. And I think one of the things that's entertained me from the beginning is that like the first go around, $1,200 checks became a thing, right? I think 20 years from now, if I tell you $1,200, you'll go, oh, STEMI checks, 2020. Because $1,200 doesn't mean anything. That doesn't have any specific economic impact. So if I were to give the good faith conservatives the benefit of the doubt in them pushing back on more stimulus, it's that the vast majority of the $900 billion hasn't been spent yet. And Mm -hmm. this is the consternation I sense among Republicans. It's not that there shouldn't be $1,400 checks to people who are on tough times, because there's plenty of them. In fact, I think of like... One group of people I keep thinking a lot about are the people who work at my favorite local restaurants, bartender, yeah. server, who've kept working and they just aren't making as much money specifically yes. because of a pandemic. Like give yeah. them 3000 bucks. But this first bill and what may be you know, the f- law per reconciliation allows families that are fully employed up to $300,000 in family income to get the checks. I'd rather see checks be 
more targeted. And I think that's where a lot of Republicans were coming from. And, you know, uh, at least to hear him out, Vice President, now President Biden, lit a fire in the Oval Office and had 10 Republicans in. So bipartisanship. I, you know what, Weston? That's really fucking reasonable. You're, you're, I, I find your position really fucking reasonable. And I like, and it's, I, and, and I'm delighted. Um, I want to say like that, um, that I too can see the wisdom in making them more targeted. Even so, Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, he said, "Again, and we're in this weird situation where Joe Manchin is our ruler um, forever because he has he holds all of the power." So that's upsetting in the subject of another podcast. But he said, "Let me be clear, and these are words I shared with President Biden: Our focus must be targeted on the COVID nineteen crisis and Americans who have been most impacted by this pandemic. I will only support proposals that will get us through." and end the pain of this pandemic. So he's saying something not too dissimilar from you, um, that it should be really focused on the on the people who really need it. And I, you know, personally, I'm like, oh, should my check be, and I'm not necessarily clear on el- whatever my eligibility is or whatever, but like, should so, should someone like me get less so that someone like, you know, uh, the, the waiter at my favorite restaurant gets more? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Is there something happening with Janet Yellen and economists who know better than me about infusions of money and the way they work in the economy, um, probably. You know what I mean? Like, it's, there's right. there's maybe a reason why. Like, I don't know. I can't say enough about what economists are saying about like just reg, just like everybody getting money. Yeah, I do think the targeting thing makes great sense too. In a world that you can do that, I think that is impossible to figure out in yeah, a way that yeah. is so actually think, able to happen. Well, so then, but I also just think, just to finish my point, that it's if you want this economy to recover. By, I, you know, it w- I do think like the people who need it the most should always get more. How do you accomplish that right now? I don't think it's possible. I think you have to do you have to do back end of, of making that correct is huge. But you got to think of like where you want this money spent in the economy. And if everyone if you just go, OK, this is how much we'll give everyone with the idea that everyone's going to spend that money. Then everyone is spend. They're putting it right back in all different facets of the economy. Yeah, I so I bought that last time. Like if you if you go back to April May of 2020, the yeah. argument mm-hmm. was we got to move fast. We probably can't customize. Now we still customize to some degree because beyond 150 thousand sure. dollars of family yeah. income or 75 thousand right. for a person, you phased out completely. Well, it's, I, it seems disappointing. And I think this is where the pushback comes from some conservatives. It just feels disappointing that we've been tinkering and trying for eight or nine months and we still can't customize at all. Another group of people, I, I love all my grandparents. I'm glad that none of them have gotten COVID. Uh, but my grandparents, not particularly wealthy people, live primarily on Social Security. Because mm-hmm. of the pandemic, they haven't been able to leave their house, but they've yeah. gotten checks from the government. It, like that, like again, that money... Either don't spend it because at some point there's going to be some reckoning, even if it's 50 years from now, because we've got 30 trillion in debt, or send it to people who need it more. But my grandparents who have now two STEMI checks, they literally can't spend it because they're not even supposed to leave their house. They're waiting on their second vaccine. Right. Well, I think you have to go in personally and take care of that situation. Just go take their money and spend it for them? (laughs) Steal their money is what Ophira is. You're going to have to Robin Hood that one out, okay? (laughs) You're going to have to Robin Hood that one out on your own. 
Um, you also, I just want to point out, like, that there are places, you know, you, you know, for people who do talk about the debt, there's like a two, you know, and there's this um part of a of a previous bill that eliminated a tax on businesses, um. And like, so uh, Doggett and White House senators pointed out the best place to start for Republicans urging more narrowly targeted relief is eliminating the $250 billion bonanza for hedge fund managers and real estate speculators they previously tucked into the CARES Act. And that also sounds that reasonable. Sounds, I mean, you know. very reasonable. It is surprising on one end to be like, oh, so let's make sure the rich don't have to pay as much money. But we are very concerned about making sure the most disadvantaged get the most money. It's like, what? Well... I right. hope so. That seems strange. Turn. Right. And also just that, like, <laughs> the cuts can't just be to, like, Medicare, right? Cuts. There are <laughs> right, other right. places where we could cut things. Like, we could start there, too. You know, uh, I mean, but at the same time, I also think in the give and take that it should be democracy, um, it's, to me, to me, like, okay, yeah, you're right. Like, there could be a way of doing the targeted uh, payments, you know, in a timely fashion, uh, that help more of the people in need. Like I can, I can see that argument, and who knows? Maybe we'll see something in there. And Be your cool. final thoughts on this? Because I want to move on to impeachment. Well, here's it. one one question. Like, where are you, ladies, right now? I'm in Tennessee, New York City, New York City. Yeah, and New York, City. New York City. So I just think it's fair. And again, you might not have been able to do this the first go around. But what if the checks were different sizes based on where you live? A thousand bucks in Tennessee is a lot more money than it is in New York City. Right. It's true. Uh, and there are no bar there are no bar workers or restaurant workers here because there are no bars and restaurants anymore. And everything's right. pretty Basically. much open here, which is a good point. It's a big difference. Right. I spent $1,100 on a latte yesterday, so that was really delightful. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> let's move on really quickly. I don't, you know, I don't mean to make a big meal out of impeachment, but while the White House is drawing up the final stimulus bill, the Senate is conducting a little impeachment trial. They're going to start next week, and this week they, they have some of their the filings were done. Um, hilariously, they have experienced an impeachment trial, so it shouldn't take as long. Um, also, hilariously, over the weekend, Trump uh, lost not one, not two, not three not four, but five of his lawyers um, because they didn't want to lie and say that Trump had won the election. Um, So now he's got two new lawyers, uh, one of which is best known for uh, reaching a deal not to prosecute Bill Cosby for sexual assault, um, among other career highlights. Uh, They're mostly going to focus their arguments on whether the trial is even constitutional. So again, like Weston, you're one of our beloved Fake the Nation resident Republicans. Um, And I am so curious where you are on impeachment. Well, it's said in Washington, and this is probably true on both sides of the aisle, you give a politician an out on process and they'll take it. Like you give them an off ramp where they can say, well, we're not really supposed to be doing this and they won't address the elephant in the room. They'll just take the off ramp. And that's, you know, that's what a lot of people think is going on in Congress, in the Senate, when 45 Republican senators are, are arguing it's unconstitutional. I don't know. I mean, you go back to, you know, where, where the country's been and what happened, what transpired on January 6th. And it certainly feels like um, the president played a, a part in that. I would argue in terms of impeachable offenses, the president calling Georgia's state secretary of state and it's asking bigger. him to find some votes is there's probably more of a direct connection in terms yeah, yeah, of yeah. impeachable behavior. And that's not what this is about. So I live in a very much a red state. I live two miles from dear Marjorie Taylor Greene's district in North Georgia. Uh, 
one practical reality is that if you were to impeach the president, even at this point, I do think it divides a country even further. Uh, whether that should be a consideration, we could also debate. But I think it's a, I just would say from like the heart of red America, that's part of what we're looking at here. Ophira. I keep, you know, I, I I think once you're arguing the Constitution, although an important document, which is brought up more and more and more, and not one that I grew up reading, I just always like to point out that Canadian, I was educated Canadian. in Canada and we did not study American <laughs> politics. Uh, I learned a lot of it through pop culture and going to Broadway shows. Yeah, uh, the, West, the so, West Wing and yeah. <laughs> yeah, West Wing and what the Constitution means to me. Uh, right. But anyways, so I, I, you know, there's part of me that goes, so the, again, all the defenses, the Constitution, you know, I feel like now we're talking philosophy. Uh, it just makes me feel like ugh, I, I don't like it because there's plenty of facts. There's plenty of facts. You know what, Weston, you brought up that great thing, that recording of that Ugh, telephone yeah. call. I mean, the fact that that is just sort of like, yeah, that happened. Okay. <laughs> it's very hard for... <laughs> it's very hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's very hard for me to get on board with, the, uh, with feeling like I could have an objective idea of what's going on when these things are, to me, so blatantly overlooked or, or just seen as like... That seems okay. And, you know, my parents, both of them always said growing up, they said all politicians are the same. Okay, they're all liars. They're all crooks. That's That was the ongoing feeling in my house, which was always weird because my parents grew up during World War II. So clearly they were aware of a politician that was a little bit worse than the rest. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> <to> leaders. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and my... My fear is beyond the impeachment because I don't I do think there's a it's this is about power. This is all about power hunger uh, and whether that power can be given back to this person. But I worry about the most the rift in the party that will cause the most extremists to gather and gain Again. traction. Right. I I mean, uh, totally. And I mean, so there's a couple of things going on in my mind. One, if we don't have the votes, let's do the thing quickly because it has to be done. But but uh, let's just get it out of the way quickly. Like it sucks if the, if we don't have enough votes uh, for imp for a conviction, because I really do think that man should not be allowed to run for office again. And I really wish the Georgia phone call. And we talked about the Georgia oh phone my call goodness. on the day of we were, I, I can't remember if we were taping with Neil deGrasse Tyson or something. I can't remember who we were taping, taping with that day. And on the day of the insurrection, we talked, while it was brewing, we were talking about the Georgia phone call because we thought that was like the biggest news. You know what right. I mean? And um, that was already to us impeachable. <laughs> You know what I mean? And then it got overshadowed by this other thing. But I do I do wish there had been a like, 
bullet point number one, bullet point number two situation <laughs> with these articles of impeachment? I don't know. Did they need to like adjust the font size so they could fit them both in on the same page? Or, like, what what is seven point? <laughs> yeah, you know when you go low so that you can fit everything and you don't have to edit yourself? Um, I, maybe that's what happened. I don't know. But like, uh, I really do wish that had been in there because that's so directly trying to steal votes and overturn voting results, right? Like that was so obvious. Um, and uh, and it was taped. I mean, you know, the whole thing, oh, it was just amazing. It's just like it, the, all of the evidence is there. But I do think that we we do have to stand up for like stuff and not just let like things run ramshod because then any president can just go in there and like That's be right. heinous. Uh, so I do, I do, you know. Let's put yeah, this in but- proper context though for President Trump. Uh, first, you know, let's say the three worst things that could have happened to the man. The impeachment and even the conviction might be third. I'd say second connected to Georgia would be that he ends up being investigated for or even charged Mm, with a mm -hmm. state crime. Sure. Uh, That'd be bad. And then first has already happened. Worst thing that could happen to Donald Trump loses his Twitter. Twitter's gone. Dude has no influence on the platform that created the the whole monster. I mean, I really, if you think about, if you track this thing back five years ago, he effectively utilized or weaponized, depending on how you look at it, social media in a way that history books will have to sort out. Yep. But it's gone. Yeah. Good news, no books. Good news, no more books. <laughs> we, our, our Twitter textbooks of the future, where we yeah, just all read about history in the really moment. short. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, let's take a quick break and learn about our sponsors. We keep the lights on here at Fake the Nation, who we appreciate very much. And then when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about the GOP and where it's at. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help. Because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you 
you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we are back and we're ready for topic number two. So we read a report in the New York Times called 77 Days, Trump's Campaign to Subvert the Election. It really lays out the timeline for how it all happens. Everyone on Trump's um, team knew that he lost uh, at at, on a certain day, I think it was like maybe the 12th or something. But the one person who still saw a path was Rudy Giuliani, and he saw that path through through Georgia. And he was the one person who was kind of like saying what Donnie most wanted to hear. Um, and that basically, the New York Times examines these 77 days between the election and the inauguration and, and really draws out this beautiful timeline with some behind-the-scenes stuff that I didn't know. Um, just first, I'm going to share some of the highlights, my personal highlights of this piece. But uh, let me just get your first reactions, and then we'll talk about the larger issues of the party. Ophira, first initial thoughts about this 77 Days piece in the New York Times. It went viral this week, so I feel like a lot of people may have heard about it. Um I mean, my, uh, you know, honestly, the 77 days, my, my initial thoughts are that, I don't know, the whole thing to me feels, I feels like sometimes I'm reading things and it's all too late. Like I wanted to read that piece 77 days before those 77 days. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 You know, so I'm always sort of like this. A little bit like, why didn't we know this? 
like right. on December 27th or whatever. Yeah, and it's it's sort of like, oh, now you like to, to be the most like ridiculous. I'm always like, now you feel this way. Oh, now is that acceptable? <laughs> you know, uh, and so I get very fired up about that. And then I just think that uh, I'm uh, well, then I just think that I must not be seeing I, I must just have a unique viewpoint. And that I'm not seeing it the way as the majority, and that would help me to see it from their point of view. Otherwise, I'm just always going to feel that sort of infuriating rage. Well, and I think something that was interesting about the piece was that there were so many conspiracy theories that were like kind of in one or two lines explained in this piece that I had never heard of. Like I had heard of the Dominion voting machine thing, but then there was all these other hammer, something about hammer and something about like, there's all these fun names of conspiracy theories and stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, um, it's actually, I gotta be honest, a little boring to know <laughs> the extent of the, of the conspiracy, conspiracy theories. theories. Weston, what was your, what were your feelings about this piece? Well, most of the piece and the research, I get maybe now we're beginning to document what happened between election day and the you know, what ended up being, uh, after a lot of strife, the peaceful transition of power in America again, is stuff that I've paid quite a bit of attention to. I mean, maybe I could have written that piece. Uh, a shameless plug, like my podcast, we just dropped a newest episode that goes through Georgia and retells the story of what actually happened and and debunks to the best of our ability the claims of fraud because you're right. These are like these conspiracy theories. When I began to dig into them, I'm, I was almost disappointed that they weren't better conspiracy theories. Right? A good conspiracy <laughs> theory will make the most curious of us go for you know just make us right. pause. But these are terrible conspiracy theories. They're, yeah, they're awful. There's so many holes. Yeah. Oh uh, well, they're they're just like a quick Google search away, right? Like a good conspiracy <laughs> right. theory, you got to dig a little bit. You got to pick up the phone and call somebody. This stuff is crazy. And so, you know, where's the Republican Party? Well, the Republican Party, to me, is like there's three categories of people. There's hardcore people who are still loyal to Trump. They're going to be for a while. There are people who really want to move beyond Trump. But then there's a third group of people, and it's very distinct, and it's Rudy Giuliani is among them. They're full-blown crackpots, okay? They're crackpots. <laughs> they, you know, again, they can't even sell a good conspiracy theory. So we could go on and on and on. I give people this example. When Rudy Giuliani showed up in Philadelphia, you know, at the Four Seasons. You remember the Four Seasons? Oh, yeah. yeah. Was that the oh, one where it's his— my favorite T-shirt. Was that the one where his hair mascara was running down his face? <laughs> He said Four Seasons, that was, Pennsylvania. Uh, that was later and, and also oh, sorry, fantastic. Okay. <laughs> well, yes, that was, Four I know. Seasons. I, yeah, that was actually maybe the, gardening. If I could feel sorry for the guy, that was the only day I felt I know, a little sorry. Because he doesn't well, even have yes. a friend to tell him his, you know, his makeup's running. His, it, yeah. I oh wish even God. on my worst enemies that they have a friend who'll tell them, right? Yeah, you, want, you wanted Hitler to know there was a piece of kale stuck in his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Hitler did not like kale. I'm just going to throw that out there. He well, didn't even like Swiss chard. I think he hated Swiss chard, by the way. Conservative Republican. I go in to begin my research into yeah. what really happened. I go watch the live, unedited stream of Rudy Giuliani in Philadelphia launching. I mean, the world was watching. This was before it had really become quackery. This is the uh, world watching right. the president's attorney claiming the greatest fraud in human history. Okay, if there were actually fraud, it would be the greatest example of fraud ever. And he starts by explaining that Joe Frazier, the legendary Philadelphia boxer, uh -huh. had been known to vote, vote multiple times. 
And because he's basically laying the groundwork for Philadelphia's corrupt. Philadelphia's always been like home of the mob. And I remember thinking, I'm a big sports guy. I remember thinking, that's kind of crazy. I can't believe that (laughs) somebody so famous as Joe Frazier has actually, you know, he died. And he's died several years ago. And that people have been voting as him. I was like, that's crazy. Like the rest of it, one quick Google search. And you realize (laughs) not only has that never happened, but like the Pennsylvania Board of Elections, all right. the authorities in Pennsylvania quickly were able to show that nobody with Joe Frazier's birth date has voted since he died. He just, Giuliani totally made it up. And, and I think it's actually symbolic that the very first thing out of Giuliani's mouth, the first point he wanted to make on the president's behalf was this completely made up thing about a famous boxer die, you know, voting from the grave. And it was bogus. Do you, do either of you per, have any personal ties to people, friends, family that are into conspiracy theories, like of this nature, like, like, like have, as outlined in that yeah. article or something close? Like, but I, I, I feel like I remember a family member telling me once some years ago about like nine eleven, like a nine eleven conspiracy theory, and I think what's interesting about conspiracy theories of yore is that they didn't like. They did captivate the imaginations of some people, but not enough people. You know, there's always going to be a conspiracy theory, right? You're not, you can't, you can't control that. Um, it's, it's, you know, what's different is these conspiracy theories can grab hold. And then I guess what's even more different is that Rudy Giuliani believed in con- some conspiracies, and as he was, uh, you know, a affixing his mascara to his hair was also telling the president that they were real, right? So the, the power dynamic of the conspiracy That's theory, right. I think, is what's, what's and also And then it becomes the truth. New. I want to also point out a couple of things that I found so fascinating. So McConnell basically also knew that that Biden had won the election, but based on assurances from Jared Kushner that Trump would eventually accede to reality, agreed to say that stuff where he was like, well, let's just give him time to like go through every process to go through the the courts or whatever. And, and so I thought that was interesting. Also, why would an assurance from Jared Kushner uh, be an assurance at all. Anyway, you know what I mean? Like, he's, it's not like he, it's like Mr. Rogers would be a good, you know, um, accountability person or something, but like Jared Kushner. I know, anyway. and then you start thinking about conspiracy theories. It's like, well, what about all that? Like, if you want to start going down the road right, <laughs> of conspiracy right, right. theories, like, I, I, have, I, I have someone, a close friend who I think I would oh. almost categorize in the QAnon um, right, per like kind of world in terms, and you know there is the problem with the internet, as we all know, is that if you want to look for an answer, if you have the answer in mind, you will find it. You will find the answer. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. yes. Uh, so it's very hard. And sometimes, you know, I'll come back with, you know, recently I was because I couldn't believe that that two police officers who defended the Capitol then later committed suicide. And I was like, that sounds wild to me. Yeah. Possible, of course. But that sounds wild to me. I was like, how about that conspiracy? That's how it was reported to have happened. That's how it was reported. Right, 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 right. Um, So... I I think some of the other things that were sort of like crazy that jumped out at me uh, is Mr. There there was a point with Bill Barr um, where he was sort of resisting the president um, and at that time was also resisting the idea 
that um, Donnie and birthright citizenship in a legally dubious pre-election executive order, which I was like, wow, that was happening at the same time as all of this. Um, also, the the my pillow guy makes appearances in the story. Um, Mike Lundell, the former Overstock.com chief executive. Um, sorry, no, Mike Lundell is the MyPillow guy. Patrick Byrne is the Overstock.com guy. Um, and he warned of fake ballots. I think, again, going back to this idea of conspiracy theories being embraced by people who I think pre back in the day wouldn't have normally embraced it. Like, you don't normally think of, like, CEOs, um embracing conspiracy theories, right? Well, we don't. We never knew much about pillow CEOs in the past. Right. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Pillow CEOs have, are, are their own category of CEO. <laughs> we, don't know, we don't know anything about the betting industry, personally. So, and how so those let, me, let me get to the heart of this topic, though, which is that I wanted to look at that Times piece um, because it's just sort of this, like, interesting depiction of the Republican Party and the number of people that like sort of enabled or like stood by or the way they, they the way they resisted, but kind of quietly what was happening with the White House. But there's also people like you mentioned, Weston Wap, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman out of Georgia, who was a QAnon person. And she thinks the Parkland massacre was a fake and that California wildfires were caused by space lasers controlled by Jews. Um, I go to those meetings every Saturday. I mean, Ophira, Synagogue, what are you on. doing with your space lasers? later today. Um, Meanwhile, 4,600 Republicans uh, changed their party status in Colorado. Um, 6,000 defections um, from the party were accounted for in North Carolina, 10,000 in Pennsylvania, 5,000 in Arizona. And then what's weird is that some of these people are defecting because of the the party's embrace of Trump. Some of these people are are defecting because the party's not embracing Trump. Um, Weston, it feels like (laughs) this isn't the best week for the GOP. Where is it and where do you see it going? I know that's like a huge question, but you are, uh, like I said, our, our Republican friend who may help us have some insight on this. Yeah, we're in a deep funk. It is mm-hmm. not a good time to be a Republican, except that I think there is among the majority of people who are interested in the conservative movement, as they call it, are doing some real soul searching. And you're right. Like when you look at these pieces that are explaining to us in greater detail what was really transpiring in the last few weeks of 2020, one of the things that should creep almost anybody out is how close to the seat of American government, the White House, the you know the, the Oval Office, how close people got who I believe are categorically unwell. And I think Republicans ought to be willing to talk about that and admit that, right? Like Mike Lindell may be a rich guy. He's not well. You watch these interviews. He's a right. he's a crazy man. Sidney Powell, she's unwell. And that mentally unstable people had the ear of the president was creepier than I realized it was around Christmas. So wh- where do we move from here? Well, I hope, again, I gave you those three categories earlier, right? You've got you know, Trump Republicans, Republicans who may have voted for him, but they're ready to move beyond it. And then you've got crackpots. There are real live crackpots within the Republican Party, and I can't believe it's a question as to whether we just call them what they are. They're they're nuts. And Marjorie Taylor Greene's easy to pick on. I would say, you know, living just a couple miles from her district, having watched her win 
both on the first ballot and then a runoff, that there's some kind of unique circumstances that contributed to it. My hunch is she'll lose her reelection bid, so we probably ought mm-hmm. not obsess over her. She's a mm-hmm. wingnut. She's an outlier. The question is, can the party, you know, is there a, a potential for a big tent Republican party? Well, I mean, I, you know, there's reason to believe that is possible. I mean, Hispanics in droves in southern in, in in South Florida and on the border in Texas came towards the Republican Party in November of 2020. They probably were turned off by this wacky fraud narrative. But I think there's an argument that the Republican Party could get its act together and and be a more of a working class party than it has been in my lifetime. But I, I so I paint people this picture, kind of final point of where the Republican Party is. The Republican Party is embodied because these are two future leaders. It is embodied by two people in the U.S. House. It's not Kevin McCarthy. It's not Liz Cheney. The two people are Matt Gates uh-huh. and Dan Crenshaw. And can you remind people who those two are? I will, sure. Yeah, so from the panhandle of Florida with big poofy hair, Matt Gates, who's one of the pre- you know President Trump's henchmen, and you know he's uh, you know Liz Cheney picks on him for his sort of excessive wearing of makeup, but this is him. He's a he's a Fox <laughs> News heartthrob, Matt Gates. Yeah, yeah. Dan Crenshaw, who is, you know, some people wouldn't realize the dichotomy here, but I think it's become really clear because actually one of them attacked Liz Cheney, one of them, Crenshaw, came to her defense. And then, you know, Dan Crenshaw is the guy who had kind of this famous uh, Saturday Night Live moment. He wears an eye patch because he lost his eyes as, as a Navy SEAL in Afghanistan. And they're both conservative. They're both Republicans. They're both in their 30s, but they're on either side of the, of the crazy divide. Okay, Gates is on the crazy side. Crenshaw's still a conservative, but he's one of these people who didn't object to the Electoral College. He defends people like Liz Cheney, who he may not agree with. That's the like the future of the Republican Party now, I think, can actually be seen in these two millennial Republicans. That's so interesting because that that's that's really interesting to me because I think they're the people that if you were to say who defines the Republican Party, I think it's it maybe Matt Gates on that end, right? Um, of like, you know, just b- wants to burn everything down right. and it's just a total Trump enabler. But then I think on the other end, to me, I would say like, oh, I don't know, like a Mitt Romney or something because he literally was a re- presidential nominee um, because he's sort of like, likable like there's you know there's some there's he's sort of reasonable but he's also fiscally conservative i mean i guess we'll put romney care aside when we say the words fiscally conservative (laughs) um and you know but just that like he seems like a whatever like a decent man um you know or like susan collins or lisa murkowski these people who are just sort of like sensible um they, they seem kind of like, uh, and and I don't know enough about Dan Crenshaw. Maybe he it, he sort of like is more in the traditional in, Republican in the yeah, Reagan more Bush in, in those, model, right? Yeah. Exactly. So like more along those lines, but a younger version. I'm just talking about the future. That's why I don't use yeah. Romney's name. Romney's yeah. in his seventies. Like McConnell's not right. The future. He's not the future. The future right. of the Democratic Party is not Joe Biden. Now he's no. the figurehead of the moment. Kevin right, McCarthy sure. and McConnell are the figureheads of the moment, well, but they're not the future. They, do you think the Republican Party is going to split? I mean, 
Is it like, should there be a third party who goes into that third party? Like, what do you think should happen? Yeah, well, they're because better Matt Gates and Dan Crenshaw are uncomfortable, you know, bed buddies. Yeah, they are for sure. But they're but AOC and Chuck Schumer are also uncomfortable bed buddies. You know, is that and the so, term bed buddies? I, don't I feel know, like you that's bed bugs. <laughs> it's bed bugs. Bed bugs. Bed bugs. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, but uh, the, yeah, the AOC Republican, and Schumer are similarly right. Yes. The Republican chasm gets all the attention, but if AOC knocks the Senate majority leader out of office, you know, which I think is plausible, right? then uh, then all of a sudden, you know, the, the question could be asked uh, of the Democratic Party just as much. So we'll see. I mean, if there is even a 5% break off Trump party, it would categorically make the Democratic Party, if it's stuck together, the majority Stronger. party in America for a generation, if that actually happened. My hunch is that, you know, most Republicans come to their senses. There's a whole other question. What about the Republicans who think the, the election actually was fraudulent? Will they ever vote again? There, There's evidence now, sure. statistical evidence, that Marjorie Taylor Greene and the president, all these people who lied to the American people about a fraudulent election, caused people in Georgia, right. shocker, to to believe that there was a fraudulent election. And if you think elections are fraudulent, then why do you vote? Then you don't vote. I know that. And it's strangely, I remember, you know, right before that election, just putting those pieces together and going and almost being like, this is the stupidest strategy. Like, I I can't even believe this is what's going to happen. I mean, because, you know, I may have had whatever I wanted to happen in my uh, mind's eye, but I don't want it to be people not voting ever. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Ever right. have differences of opinion. <sighs> I, I just, you know what, I, this is what I worry with people in the Republican Party. You said it so much more eloquently with um, and talking about the three categories, and I'm totally with you. I just am worried about, you know, the people that are like, okay, when the attack happened on the Capitol. That was it. That was basically the straw that broke the camel back. But before that, I was okay with the racism. (laughs) (laughs) That's some of the stuff that came out that I will associate right now with the ideological views were fine. But I also think that you can be a Republican who supported the Trump tax cuts or whatever, but didn't support any of the race rhetoric, but still called yourself a Republican. And what, you know, I I think there's ways that you can self-talk yourself into like being okay with stuff that is, you may also technically find abhorrent because you're sort of making a, a technical exception so that you, you know, so you can just get your tax cut or whatever that you sure. believe in. You know what I mean? I, it's so I, I'm one of those people that doesn't think that people who voted for Trump are all racist. I don't believe that, you know, um, that's too many people living in America, people who I've met, you know, I just don't believe that. Um, but, uh, but I, but, uh, but yes, definitely some, you know, <laughs> some of but them it's just, did it, there's, do that. It's just the healing process too, because there's a lot of damage that has been done. So for a while, it is going to be tough to, you know, I am just throwing out there, I think it's going to be tough for some people to go, oh, yeah, I get it. You're fiscally Republican. They're going to be like, you know what, I'm I'm done with hearing that for a while. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I'm a fan of, of the Trump people forming their own party and then it just sort of fizzling out because they're just like not even competent enough to like do that. You know what I mean? Maybe they can go it's, to like a fire festival or something like right, that. And- yeah. Do, have your own sort of burning man fest. Get your costumes on like a dude. That's cool. You don't even need to be in politics. Right. Um, Enjoy. Uh, yeah, enjoy. I, can I give you the curveball? I think. Please. All right. The cur- the curveball. And this is you're closing us out here Weston. on the future of the Republican Party. The, yes. The curveball for those who are predicting its uh, near demise or its near term demise is that I have a hunch that the at least one of the three transcendent voices of the Republican Party between now and when the 2024 race starts uh-huh. is going to be. Tim Scott from South Carolina. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. Tim Scott is one of these guys who, on race issues, certainly on the on President Trump's rhetoric around race issues, took issue with the president. And he's got this very interesting, nuanced South Carolina perspective of yeah. being a conservative, of being a Republican, of being a former Democrat, and a longtime office holder from local state to, you know, federal office in Congress and then the U.S. Senate. And so I'll just say, you know, to those people who think, oh, well, the next couple years of Republicanism are going to look like the last couple. I doubt that's true. And and Tim Scott will be in the middle of it. I think Tim Scott and Nikki Haley, if I want to just throw in one more, she's a little tainted from the Donny administration, but not nearly as much as everybody else. And uh, and she's also she's a woman. She's got, you know, an interesting background. Um, I think these are people. In fact, I would say when Mitt Romney lost in 2012 and they did that, what was that thing they did where they like, let's redefine the party or whatever? They did like a little self-analysis. Um, post-mortem. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. After that thing, I feel like the thing that everybody talked about was like, we need to be a party that has the kind of guys like Tim Scott. And Tim Scott is like the ideal of 2012, you know, when they were talking about the kind of person they want to be able to have in the party. Um, I think it's uh, like a Tim Scott and Nikki Haley or whatever, and they could be incredibly effective. I don't, I don't know. I mean, and you know, Tim Scott, again, he's like one of these guys that seems like kind of reasonable. Like when you see, you know what I mean? He's not like, he's not trying to get people to knock down AOC's door, you know, on the Capitol. <laughs> Is that reasonable now? <laughs> He's just saying, um, send her a letter. Just send yeah, her a letter. He's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And try and be nice oh. about your criticisms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we all need feedback. Okay, well, let's move on. Um, thanks for talking this through with me. I know we put a lot of pressure on you, Weston, to define some shit. And I've, you've pulled through. Uh, so thank you. Um, let's move on to our final topic. That's topic number three. We read a piece in The Atlantic from Amanda Mull called The Pandemic Has Erased Entire Categories of Friendship, and I knew from the title that I agreed. Um, What did you make of this? Did you, just like knowing the title, do you, did you feel some loss of categories of friendship? Like, did you knew intuitively what she meant? Oh, oh my, yes. Yes. I was like, (laughs) you know, I'll tell you the first thing that occurred to me because I'm working in stand-up and going out to shows. Yeah. Like the amount of people that end up filling your social life that are bartenders, managers, people that work at venues, other comics that you just see in this thing. And then that is gone. And these aren't the kind of people that I would expect to ever give me a call. I don't even know if we have each other's numbers. And that's all gone. (laughs) And all of a sudden I was like, I have two friends. What? (laughs) 
was, and then I was like, do I have two friends? Question mark. You know, like it was, it's, it is, I have felt like it is so clear to me that the, the thing that she talks about in this article are all these people that make up your A social life. world. Yes. And that is, I mean, I feel like that is 80% of my existence. I'm so glad you said that. Do I have any friends? Because that is how, and I look, Ophira, you know me, and I think you're my friend. So, <laughs> I'm your friend. Um, the, so you know that I'm a social person, and I obviously do have friends. But my like need for friendship is so much greater than the average person because I'm such an extrovert. So that so uh, so when the pandemic happened, that was a question I was asking myself: was just like, I don't like, what have I been doing this whole fucking time? Have I not been making friends? But I, it's not that I haven't. It's that I have like a, you know, a patchwork of types of friends. So before we get into that patchwork, uh, Weston, what did you make of this article? Well, it meant something a little different than I thought by the title, to be honest. And then okay. I'll okay. say, Curveball. I'll just, I love it. I'll just say that my wife and I took a little bit of a different tact in terms of friendships okay. in the pandemic. I think a lot of us had those moments where we didn't know what the future would look like. And so we just decided to double down on a, on a thing we had started years ago. And that's just making our own friends. We've made three kids. We decided to have a COVID baby. So we've got a fourth friend on the oh way. Oh my gosh. So we just sort of decided come pandemic or not, if we just make enough friends, we'll be okay. And that'll be our first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that is a category she does not touch on. Friends that are, are that are forced into the situation by way of birth. That's right. Yeah, Friends that you share DNA uh, with. Yeah. Um, I am. I'm always trying to socially distance myself from those friends. <laughs> you know, but there's a bit of the upside. So where I, where I thought she was going is that the pandemic rid us of some of those casual friends who probably take up more of your oxygen than you would in your regular like them life to. Uh-huh. yes you know it's yes. like the, the people you see like i think about the people who we see at a social gathering who i don't really care to talk to but i end up giving them 20 minutes a month every yeah, time i see sure, them and sure. we just talk about the same stuff covid Done. got rid of those people and i may not see them again but that's, I think, so she is saying that you got rid of those people, but it is at a net loss to everyone in America that we all got, that we got rid of those people. I mean, look, I think there's, you know, there's those people that you sort of begrudgingly have conversations with, but there's the vast other grouping of people, which are people you delightfully have conversations with that you don't know very well. You know, I think if it's, it's funny, like, I, I have a friend, uh, I'll just I'll just name him, uh, listeners of Fake the no- Nation know Justin Krebs. He's been on the show. He's also running for city council in Brooklyn. Look him up. I've endorsed. Nice. Um, and, and Justin is someone who's like, you know, he's he's uh, he works for MoveOn.org. He runs um, Drinking Liberally, this national organization. You know, he's the kind of person, and he's, he's on the board of a, a theater. Like, he's the kind of person that has a lot of events. And I would, I've known him for many, many, many years. He's been my good friend. And I would always just go to his events. And that was the way, our social life occurred is like I sort of went to his things and occasionally he came to mine and it was very thing-based, you know? Mm. And then in the process of going to those things, I would see the universe of people that were a part of Justin's world and they were like my, you know, this kind of like second tier of friends. And I'm not seeing any of those people because none of our events that are organically the way we sort of like checked in on each other a few times a year, none of those things are happening. And so 
And to me, I, and I love seeing all those people, even though I don't necessarily have all their phone numbers, right? And like, even though I'm not doing like Zoom hangouts with them, um, those are, and, and what sociologists call people, um, there's, there's a term in sociology, it's weak ties. It was coined in 1973 by the Stanford sociologist, Mark uh, Granovetter. Um, and it, it comprises acquaintances, people you see infrequently and near strangers with whom you share some familiarity. And then the writer of this piece also points out that that's like maybe too weak of a term for this other layer of friends, which is what I'm talking about, which is just sort of like you have your inner circle, you have the middle circle, and then you have your outer circle, weak tie people. Um, and I think that middle circle are people that like I really miss because they're the comedians you would see in the green room, right? They're the people that you sort of regularly ran into as a part of your life um, and had good conversations. And I think one of the points that she brought up, uh, which I thought was excellent, was that these are the people that motivate you to take a shower every day. <laughs> and you know, there's <laughs> I mean, something else in that article that, I, if I'm remembering right, it's like those are the people that end up being the your links to, like, new jobs, new yes. apartments. Like, it's not, your best friend doesn't necessarily pave the way for you to get, you know, because you might not be working in the same, but it's all these tangential people that you have these sort of interesting bonds with that are like, hey, I thought of you because blank, and that's, gone that's gone but also i have been i've fallen i feel like i've fallen prey to this i uh, you know in work scenarios i see certain people who i didn't consider my primary friends they're people i work with more and more through the zoom thing because we are working together and i have had i think unfair expectations from them to be uh, a more like a friend to me because i just like these are the people that i'm seeing more often now Oh, are you like Zoom leeching off of colleagues? Like well, Zoom uh, friendship they w- leeching? They they won't do it, so it's not reciprocated. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a desperate me throwing myself at them and them going, I know. Um, I, uh, I, there's something that I've done weirdly. And I was telling a friend of mine, we went out to dinner, actually. Yes, 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 yes. Um, How strong was the heat lamp? It was, oh, it was delightful. I only, I could unzip my coat. Um, so we're doing nice outdoor in the cold dinners out here in New York City because we're fantastic. And, um, and I was. We're rats. We are rats (laughs) in coats. We're amazing, wonderful rats. Um, and I and I I was mentioning that I've developed a bit of a a bit of a coffee crew. So like and it's funny because they're basically the stand-in for the hundreds of people I normally see. I now see these like six people, um, which is there's a coffee shop in the nabe and there's outdoor seating. It is unheated, but like Many, you know, multiple times a week, I go there, get my coffee, kind of go at the same time, and I see the same people. And it just started out with like someone being like, um, uh, oh, but like, I really love that one episode of The Last Dance. And then I would chime in and be like, 
I loved it too. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just like, let me get in on this conversation. And it started out like that, where I would just sort of like weasel my way into yeah. a conversation. And now it's just like, I'm just there. Like I'm just this person that's like leeching off of whatever pre-existing coffee. And I think all these people are essentially um, people like me. Like we're not, we weren't all necessarily connected. We're just connected by this coffee shop. Uh, but and it's I true. Was, if any yeah. sort of half stranger says like, uh, it's weird out. I'm like, you know what else I think about it being weird? I've had a lot of interesting, <laughs> weird thoughts about it being weird. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to get into it? Instead of just being like, yeah, whatever, and turning yeah, away. Totally. <laughs> I was so I was telling my friend about this new coffee crew and she was in, she just like, T- took a pause and she was just like, I have a lot of questions. And I was like, oh, you seem jealous. And she's like, yeah, I'm very jealous of this coffee crew. And like, she was just like, how do you do it? What time? What What's the etiquette? You know what I mean? And I think the etiquette is everyone is desperate. I mean, except for Weston who keeps making new friends. Um, <laughs> right. And this is so brilliant. What you said though, like all this, doesn't it point back to the world at whatever point we were given full permission snapping back, you know, for months, I felt like people were like, nothing will ever be the same. And I'm like, we all want it to be normal. Like, here's the truth. The truth is, uh, 10 days before Christmas, I got COVID and went into my, uh, in in fact, in this room, this room I'm in now, I hid from my family and I still think my kids probably got it. But so I went through it and I have a few COVID buddies who I see them out. We're hugging it out. We're like, hey, life's normal for us. Kind of antibodies here. Don't put my rest, you know, the rest of my friends through the same ringer. But like, I've, I feel like I see a little bit the other side, not because I got vaccinated, but because I got the COVID. And and there's no question we're headed back. I think if anything, right, we kind of see, yeah. we, we now understand the importance of the people who aren't in our closest circle, but we still love and make life what it is. Yes, yes. And I want to point out, too, there was something that was in the piece that kind of harkens back to what we were talking about in the last segment. Um, She wrote, the psychological effects of losing all but our closest ties can be profound. Peripheral connections tether us to the world at large. Without them, people sink into the compounding sameness of closed networks. And I'm going to add, she probably meant in parentheses and can fall prey to conspiracy theories that only your closed network is talking about. Absolutely. So did we, so does the lift, does, do vaccines not only help us hug our fucking friends again, but do they also help us defeat conspiracy theories? I'm going to say yes. <laughs> well, well, let's just, I mean, I, I think that the DNA strands that there be and the microchips being injected. <laughs> That's right. The vac- answer, answer my <laughs> vaccines killing conspiracy theories with a conspiracy theory. I love it. <laughs> Sorry, you were going to say Ophira. No, I, I, but I agree to that. It's like, yeah, vaccines for an open mind. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I do think that like, you know, it's just like this is a stupid analogy, but I remember when I moved from a fifth floor walk up living in for 15 years, that's five flights of stairs to get into your apartment for people that don't live in New York uh, to an elevator building. And I thought I will be thankful for this every single day. By day two, I was like, where's the elevator? And it just reminds you how quick we are like, you know, like it positive and negative. We are very quick to adapt. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I also think in this situation, the one thing I feel that we have not 
The one thing we have not um, lost is our ability to complain about how miserable this fuckball <laughs> pandemic is. And then I think Weston is right. We all just want to go back to the thing. You know what I mean? Um, well, listen, folks, I, I, we have to end the show. Um, I want to say that I wanted to also talk about vaccine distribution. And I also wanted to talk about Jeff Bezos. Um, but, we, you know, there was just too many things that I wanted to talk about. But we will get to these issues uh, next week. And also follow me on Instagram because I do I'm I'm doing I'm going to be starting more regularly doing Instagram live conversations where we get to topics that we didn't get to to do on the show. Um, And before I get into uh, Ophira and Weston and what they're up to, I want to point out um, there's a company called Salam Forever Cards. That's Salam, S-A-L-A-M, Forever Cards. Um, And Salam means hello um, in in Farsi and in Arabic. And and they – and I got my hands on these cards and they're like – you know, they're like Middle Eastern flavored. They're Persian flavored. They've got some beautiful um, Middle Eastern designs on some of them and some of them don't, but you can find um, you can find all sorts of cards, Valentine's Day cards. You can find uh, Persian New Year cards for Persian New Year people that are coming up. Um, by the way, we should all celebrate Persian Year's. This is something to do. Um and uh, and I and 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 they're like a delightful, just like um, small company that I just want to support. So check out Salam Forever uh, cards. Um, Google them and uh, and support uh, brown people making greeting cards. Okay. Um, now, what I would really love, though, is for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow the two of you and all the good work that you do. Ophira, where do they do that? You can find me uh, at at Ophira on Venmo. And I know I said that last time and left it at that. And I would just like to thank the person that sent me $5. Oh, hey. So, uh, but other social medias, I'm at Ophira E. And you could check out Ask Me Another, which is a trivia comedy podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and you know what? You, I, I, Like I said, I've seen Ophira at her best in so many different genres um, and uh, and 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 host of the podcast Ask Me Another is just one of the many ways and you can see Ophira being at the top of her game. Oh, uh, Weston Womp, where do people find you? There's only one of me so I have very little competition <laughs> in the social media handle realm at Weston Womp, spelled W-E-S-T-O-N not like a hotel and <laughs> I you continue to have the best name just in general it is good. <laughs> best or worst I didn't get to pick it that's the bummer I will say that the second season of our uh, you know I, this podcast called Swamp Stories which was meant to tell stories about the underbelly of Washington politics you, can you imagine ever going through a couple months that would give you more content and material with which to do oh another season. So we are drinking out of a fire hydrant, but we <laughs> just launched and I, and we started by, you know, Georgia was so chaotic. We've talked about it here. We started by looking at what actually happened in Georgia because it really explains uh, the hellish journey the country's been on the last couple months. Um, yes, absolutely. Unlike I've, I, I've, I've said this to you before, but I, you know, I, I remember listening to an episode, um, of that podcast and just thinking like, this is, you know, I, this is what I like to hear. It's like, it's, it's a reasonable Republican talking about stuff from that point of view. And it's, uh, and it doesn't make me feel bad. (laughs) Well, we always dead end into bipartisan solutions or we almost always do. So that's like, that's a little bit of our kind of clever niche 
Maybe it's not clever, but it's our niche. And it is that mo- you'd be surprised how many of the it's problems humane we have, is what I think how many is. of the problems we have actually do have bipartisan solutions in Washington. They just aren't majority solutions yet. Um, so definitely subscribe to that podcast. And folks, you know where to find me and all the things that I do. Um, I uh, I was like, aren't I? Do- oh, I'm, I'm doing some stand up shows. I think aren't me and you on a show together, Ophira? I don't we know. We are. Yes, we are. Yeah. We are on March 4th. Oh, we on March are, 4th. Do- <laughs> I'm just letting you know. We're on yeah. a show March 4th. Uh, and the show is actually primarily, um, it's it's all women, uh, and it is raising money for the for NYZTT Network. Yes, yes. Uh, so you can check that out. I'm on another show on Sunday. I mean, these things are theoretically Zoom on shows. my Twitter and or Instagram feed, so you can find, or the, all, extra theoretically, they're on my website. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure who's updating that. Are you guys updating my website or who's doing that? Anyway, um, so folks, uh, thank you so much. What I would really like to do is thank the people that make Fake the Nation possible. That's our wonderful producer, Anita Flores, our talented audio engineer, Andy Christens, Gabby Alter wrote our theme music, Lily Fleshler helps with research, and folks, you know, we love to hear from you, so send us your feedback, topics we should be chatting about, guest ideas you might have. You can leave us a voicemail at 331-901-0005, or you you can drop us a line at comments at fakethenation.com if you like what you hear. Please favorite Fake the Nation on Stitcher. Follow us on Spotify. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Pandora, the SiriusXM app, and do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps more people find out about the show. Uh, that's it. We'll be back in your earballs next week.